Thank you for tuning in to Man of the Making. Today's episode is part one of two in a roundtable discussion with Rajan Shankara, Kevin Kwok, Nandi Savam, and myself, Rockus. So Nandi, uh, the, the podcast knows Kevin, Rokas, and I. Nandi, what are you, what are you all about real quick? And, and, and uh, what, what are you passionate about? Um, I'm very passionate about, you know, philosophy, spirituality, astrology, and how that all ties together with yoga, with the yoga path. So really quickly, that's, I guess, summarizes it. And kind of after studying multiple religions, also very like studied from a Catholic family background. So I studied many religions before choosing the Shaivite Hindu path after about six, seven years of intense study. So that's my journey in a nutshell. And what do you, what do you do? What? I wanted to ask what made you decide to go along that path and what made you interested in astrology specifically? Um, well, when I was in India, funny thing, I went to India and I didn't have a spiritual search at the time, but whatever, that's another long story. So I was in India and I had this uh, astrology reading done by some remote village astrologer. And he told me how many siblings I had and issues that my parents are going to have that hadn't happened yet. And sure enough, when I come back from India two years later, they break up. Wow. But he already said that like year day one when I had come to India and seen him. So that got me Whoa. thinking. Yeah. So that got me really curious about this astrology, especially Indian astrology. I'd never really been even into Western astrology before. I'd have, you know, I was fairly traditional Catholic, so that wasn't something you do. Yeah. But um, this got me interested because I already knew that Western astrology was very different, you know, based on the seasons rather than the signs. So I never really just, I have even now, I haven't really investigated Western astrology. So my base is really Eastern astrology and really understanding the karma, you know, the package we've come with in this life based on our past lives. Um, so do you, have you memorized uh, the three, there's three types of karma, right? Yeah, um, so, so Prarabdha, Kriyamana, and I'm missing one. It's uh, Prarabdha is the one we're born, we're coming with, or what we withdrew from our bank account. Kriyamana is what we're making, and then um, the sum total karma, I'm forgetting the technical word for it. Sanchita. Yeah, Sanchita karma. Yeah. San, San, Sanchita. So is it that people only know about karma? Um, and then, so most people are in this bubble of karma is something that just, it's bad. Something happens to you that's bad. Yeah. That's and the then other people are in this bubble of, well, it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's everything. Like I try to help people out with karma as well. It's, it's everything. It's, it's action and reaction and everything. But then in our training, we have this breakdown of three things not just one not two isn't that fascinating kevin you just learned did you just learn that there's three types of karma yes i i didn't know that i also went to a catholic school and they definitely don't teach you about karma <laughs> that's quite interesting i guess all three of us went. and to there's even further prior up the karma you can break it down into another three as well so what? could you recap the three types that was it the action the reaction and 
So Sanchita would be the sum total of karma from all your lives. Well, past um, sorry, go ahead, Ranjan. No, go ahead. Oh, he's gone. No, I scared I scared him away. Some total <laughs> karma, he's gone. <laughs> I'm just I'm just shining some light. <laughs> which one are, which one are we picking up the suitcase uh, and we're adding to it? Well, the suitcase that we've come into this life with would be Parabda. Parabda. See, this is hard for me to remember too. I'm I'm learning. I'm writing this down. So we come into this life. All right, now now, it, now we all have to kind of understand that in order for that to be possible, the, we have to believe in reincarnation. So now we're starting to offend yeah. people, Nandi, or you, you are offending everyone. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's challenging if you don't, um, I mean, in all reality, like even from a philosophical perspective, unless you're a mystic who has traveled in mystical realms and seeing things most of us are just you know average guys or girls and it's a working theory really whether you believe in reincarnation or not it's, it's hypothetical from all practical relative experience at least right from this incarnation this birth for me at least it comes down to what makes the most sense if you haven't experienced it or you can't remember having experienced it what makes the most sense that's how i would break it down so you have to choose it's really if you believe something that somebody told you you've never tested it or even thought about it it's kind of a a lazy not to offend anybody it's a lazy philosophy that you're holding on to you want to test it if you can't experience it at least rationalize it so uh, I love that. I love that. That's it's. it's... Go, go. Oh, I, I was just saying, Nandi. For you, the moment that it clicked um, was that when the astrologer correctly forecasted that your parents was were going to break up. Was was that the moment it clicked? Not really. I was still wondering how it's still possible. Um, it that just really triggered my curiosity. At that point, I was into. I was still into like. Um, uh, my family was into like some mystical stuff within Christianity as well. So I was already starting to try to think about how everything is connected. But at that point, I was still thinking it's kind of fate, you know, God's will was predestined to happen. That's So when you have the one lifetime, when you don't believe in reincarnation, then you start thinking about other ways to explain it, which would be it's God's will or it's your fate. You know, it's predestined by whoever decides whatever goes on. It does seem like a, uh, a, a simple and um, well-meaning explanation, right? That everything happens for a reason. And I grew up thinking it, it may or may not be, but the, I guess the act of believing that it could then does affect the situation itself and the likelihood of it occurring. So I, I don't know, yeah. Kevin, are you still practicing uh, Catholicism? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> um, no, I, I actually was sent to a Catholic school just because it was in Australia. They're, they're generally better funded. And uh, my parents, who are actually Buddhist, 
um, they thought it would be better to send me there. But I was I was always getting into um, called into the principal's office for questioning their beliefs, and I always just saw it as a nice collection of of morals and and stories. But I thought everything was too neatly packaged. Um, I I didn't like. The fact that if I didn't believe in it, that I would be doomed to eternal hell. I just thought the only reason I am practicing Catholicism right now is because my parents have sent me here. If people halfway around the world have no access to this, um, there's no way they would be doomed to eternal hell because they didn't have access to it. Uh, So my whole life, I just logically thought if there is a higher being, it's the same uh, for everybody. And I think religion is a man-made concept um, created to sort of better understand the world, but it's, it's man-made. So uh, I, I, I would say I'm spiritual. Uh, so I believe in a, there's likely a higher, a higher consciousness and, and that high consciousness is sort of encapsulated in the, the rules of physics alongside things that are not describable by that, but it it gives you an idea of the nature of reality. I think we live in sort of quite a mathematical universe. Okay. Fibonacci, Fibonacci. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I know I will never know for sure. So, um, so, you know, matter makes up 5% of this universe. What is it? Dark energy is 68%. And dark matter is 27%. So 95% or more of this universe, we don't understand. So so I think science can only go so far because you're using the material world, the 5%, to try and understand the universe, uh, which is just a sliver of. And it's interesting that the universe is expanding at an increasing rate. So they don't don't know what dark energy is. They know dark matter is something that, that is holding there's not enough gravity to hold everything together. So dark matter is doing that. The dark energy is somehow exponentially increasing the rate of expansion of the universe. So I think that the process of life itself, um, that act is increasing the expansion of the universe in some way. And karma, I would like to think it exists. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting what Nandi said that you are, you could be born with a certain level of karma. Um, I, I think your, your acts affect your own subconscious and it affects your own energy. So it wouldn't surprise me that it, it has some sort of effect. Um, so I, I, I'm always open to different ideas. I just know that I don't know everything and I can't know everything. Because even with Parabdha karma, the karma that we brought with us in astrology, we learn about karma that is fixed. That's really hard to change. It's almost like nearly impossible. One example is once you're born, you're born. You can't change your parents. See that? That's an impossible karma to change. You can't control the siblings that were born before you. So that's like a, it's not even a negative or a positive thing. It's just something that is. So that's an example of karma. And that's why I always say karma is neutral. There's no good or bad. Oh, okay. There's challenging and there is no more blessing type of karma, right? Where you feel more blessed, but there's no like in raw, like perspective, there's no good or bad karma. There's just karma, meaning something was set into motion 
you, you pushed a little pebble down the hill and it picked up dirt along the way. And by the time it's at the bottom, it's this big boulder. You know, so some time in the remote past, something was put into motion. And our karma is not just personal karma. It's also karma based on the culture you're born into. You carry a group karma. You also carry a karma related to the planet Earth. You, you car carry a karma as a human species. So that's all part of you. So it's not just your karma. You also share in the collective karma of everybody that you're connected with. So is karma a form of energy that, that um, was passed along generations, is sort of created and, uh, yeah, is, it can happen on an individual level, but also as a species. It's karma means action. That's the literal translation of the word karma. It just means action. Whatever you're doing is karma. And so if there is a, you know, a baby, a newborn, born with a horrific genetic disease, um, how is, is that described as they're paying for bad karma in their, in their previous life or how, how do you explain that? How is it That's seen? That's the classical, the yeah. classical debate. I mean, it's, it's, it's really delicate and you don't want to be going around telling people, yeah, your kid was born with this problem because of its karma. In fact, in Christianity or in the Bible, you know that there was this blind leper or something, I forget the exact story, but he was handicapped in some way. And the people were asking <laughs> Jesus, what did this person do? What sin did he commit? What sin did his parents commit for him to be born like this? So you see, even in the Bible, they're talking about reincarnation. And, mm. But Jesus just says, I'm, I'm not preaching Christianity, but I'm just quoting an interesting passage that he was born this way for the glory of God to be made manifest. So what does that mean from a yogic perspective, right? I'm taking it back to, you know, meditation, all that. Karma is here to teach us some kind of lesson and to reveal to us who we are, really are. It, mm -hmm. Karma, if we want, can be, <clears throat> let it, you know, if we're blind or we're not really trying to make an effort, sure, karma can be considered like fatalistic because you're not trying to change it. You're being, you're playing the victim. But if you're going to use that same difficult experience to overcome it, build your willpower or whatever, you know, that karma itself is your blessing, no matter how horrific it is. You know, from mm -hmm. a limited perspective where we're just seeing, you know, we think we have to have everything in one lifetime, you know, but one lifetime could just be meant to develop just one characteristic, willpower or courage, or in spite of that handicap, you as a infinite divine being are going to shine through and still be able to live and do something with your life. That's an amazing feat. You know, the bigger the challenge, the stronger. Sorry, I'm going on a rant here. I'm gonna... <laughs> no, 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 no. That's good. That's good. Um, it, it, I just wanted to ask, how did you get so smart? I was born this way. <laughs> how did I get so... Geniuses are not made, I mean, they're born. Yeah. I'm joking. What is your, uh, your philosophy on uh, in, uh, developing the intellect? As you, I mean, you and Kevin are uh, intelligent people. I'm so glad you guys are both on at the same time. Um, what is your opinion? So part of this podcast is about self-development, self-mastery, 
um, not just discussing topics, but how do does the listener also refine themselves, develop themselves, so that they can speak uh, and sound educated, uh, like 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 everyone else in the podcast? What what is your opinion on that? And how did you, in your own path, how did you develop yourself? Um, answering the questions that I had. So first, let me go back here. Um, I like the question because something I know I really value being able to know what I actually know and what I don't know. So take going through that process, taking the time to develop a clear definition and being honest with yourself. What do I actually believe? What do I not believe? It takes some courage. It takes some, you know, ability to face, you know, a lot of, people that I talk to, the reality is they don't even want to face, like they actually don't believe in things, but they're just holding on to certain mental structures because they're afraid to actually admit that they don't believe something or even to just ask the question. It's like buried, it's like suppressed and they just, no, put up, who cares? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, I don't care. So getting over that mental hurdle where you're able to actually face and acknowledge to yourself, first of all, no, I don't believe this. Because if you acknowledge it to yourself, when you're faced with it in life, you'll be able to stand up towards it and say with clarity, no, I don't believe this and this is why. Right? So I guess the intellectual clarity, it's about you taking the time and having the courage to figure it out. What do you actually believe and why? And it's like a step-by-step process too. It's like one thing, you know, first of all, you know, taking my own journey, for example, do I believe Catholicism is the only way, right? That's what I grew up believing. So the first thing for me was like, no, I don't actually believe that. Right. Acknowledging that I don't actually believe that even if I was practicing Catholicism. So that opened up my mind. Yeah. Critical thinking. And that takes Beautiful. a lot of courage because you're indoctrinated and you're kind of like spellbound by this belief that you can't even question. Right. And I don't think only Catholics and Christians are that the whole Western cultures, even though they may not be like believing Christianity, the Western culture is founded upon Christian thought, whether it's Protestant reform thought that became secularized, you know, or whatever, Western thought is Christian thought, actually, in its structure and its ideology, right? Which is why we run into these colonial mindsets, racist mindsets, and all that. It does. Many of them aren't even religious. They're just having these, we're better than you, kind of, the West is automatically better and more advanced, more civilized, you know? That's a Christian mindset, that there's a certain group that's better than the rest, we were just talking about that so so nandi i try to uh ask people i I try to ask uh academics or 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 staunch followers of abrahamic religions why why there's that that is the foundation of, of western society um when when i think that there was actually a cross somewhere with eastern 
um, principles that came over to the West, but the East doesn't get any credit for it. I guess that's, that's a simple way to say it. Um, one thing that uh, I thought you might find interesting is I asked Bodinada about this. For the listeners, uh, Kevin and Rokas, Bodinada is um, our guru. Is that safe to say? He's, you, you, yeah, yeah. You're... yeah com- I'm not like a church member, but I'm a committed devotee. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bodinada is who I, is the guru I, I trained under for 12 years. And uh, Nandi, how long have you been training under Saiba Siddhanta Church Online Academy? Uh, 2016, so it's going to be four years now. Okay. So I, I email him, uh, my guru, all the time um, and ask him insights and questions and things like that. So one thing he mentioned was, my simple sense, sense is that it is part of a broader issue of Western education being Eurocentric. The major accomplishments of India and China are not taught in any field, not just in the field of values. It may take the presence of more Indians and more Chinese as respected professors to make a difference. I thought that was fascinating. That is interesting, yeah. Because, I mean, the Age of Enlightenment, so there was a period in, if we're going recently in history, in the 60s, there was a lot of crossover. The New Age movement really brought in a lot of stuff. So a lot of the pop culture is very Hindu, actually, Buddhist and Hindu really in right. its foundation. So sure. we have a lot of Hindus who aren't calling themselves Hindus really in all practical belief purposes. Right. Um, and then prior to that, we have some time in the 1800s, maybe late 1700s, but 1800s for sure, The you know, just prior to the Victorian era and the Victorian era, there was a lot of intellectual importing of ideas but I think there was a counter-reformation that happened where Western religion, they revolt, they repelled all this. So the people who were religious, that's where you have the split. So the secular people, they kept a lot of the philosophical aspects, but they didn't want to acknowledge necessarily the origins like Freud and Jung and all these people. They really were well-read in certain Vedic philosophies, Buddhism and all that. Maybe they acknowledged it somewhat, but people who came after them just referred to them without referring further back. And now we have uh, Jungian, uh, even Jungian schools where, you know, I'm not sure how Carl Jung even feels about that. (laughs) Kevin, were you going to say something uh, earlier? Um, I would say if I, I've, I've had a Jewish housemate, I went to Catholic school, I would say with the Abrahamic religions, it feels more like a system of rules. Um, and it doesn't feel that I am encouraged to create my own truth. Um, I, I never really followed Buddhism too much because maybe my parents weren't, weren't practicing it in, in the best way. Um, any, anytime my mom wanted something to happen, but she couldn't make it happen. I would see her kneeling and, and praying to the, um, to the Buddhist statue. And I just felt like it was so disempowering. If you want to make something happen, just make it happen. Don't just pray for it. So I, I didn't like that inability to take responsibility for your own life. So I sort of shunned it for a while. And uh, I think it was only when meditation was so profound and I think in the depths of meditation, you, 
you, you realize things, you, you experience things that can only be understood from experience. And because that has been so powerful and it's, it's been in uh, Hindu and, and Buddhist cultures for thousands of years, I was then interested in, okay, how did this system of practice develop? And, um, and so what I like about the Eastern philosophies is you are sort of encouraged to create your own truth. It's not exactly a religion. It's more a, a system of thought and acquired knowledge and you are encouraged to experience things for yourself. So I think for the listeners listening in, um, owning your truth is very important. You know, look, look at your influences, your friends, your family, the religion you were born into, you know, who you're following on Instagram, look at everything you're consuming and look at the, the different motives for why someone might, uh, might have a certain position um, on something. So, so don't take it as just truth. Typically, if you just look at um, how money or, or power might be involved, you could see why uh, they, they might not be espousing exactly what is, what is the truth. And then I would say to pull from great thinkers over time, whether through different philosophies or through different religions, and, uh, and just have a variety of experiences in your life so that you can sort of take these theoretical structures and then you can apply them into your life and then you can, you can know something rather than just intellectually justify something um, or be preached something, you can know something. So, and now, uh, now you're starting to use our language so that Nandi and I are, are, are trained in the very words you're using uh, yeah. there's intellectual levels of understanding and then there's, uh, you know, insights that we gain that are, that are true for us. And, um, okay. So I'm going to Rokas, I'm going to quote Kevin here for in a second and relate an idea to another quote, Ro anything, uh, that has come to your mind that you haven't been able to get in. Um, I'll bring you up later. Uh, right now it's fine. How the conversation is going. It's a bit of a separate topic. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so li li listen to this interesting idea. And Kevin, you hit the nail on the head with, with why you're averse to uh, Abrahamic thought. So Ben Shapiro, someone that I uh, highly admire and listen to and, and, and learn from all the time, uh, said this about Christianity or, or Judeo-Christian uh, thinking. Um, the idea that everyone is supposed to imitate Jesus is unchristian. We are fundamentally incapable of taking on our own sin. And so we have to have somebody take on the role of Christ on earth in order to take our sin from us. And that is the purpose of God embodying himself in Christ is to provide human beings the capacity to withdraw from original sin. We don't have the capacity to overcome and that's why Jesus, as a singular figure, is necessary. What you were saying to me, Kevin, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, for me, when I read that, I'm like, well, no, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to buy into the idea that I'm not in control and that I, I have to, do, you know, surrender um, to, to this, to this uh, being. Um, if I, you know, if I even believe that I'm born with sin, which I don't, 
But if I do believe that, then I, then I can't even do anything about it until I do steps one, two, and three uh, for this group over here. And this group isn't even uh, historically that old. So what the hell? Um, and that in, 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 you know, simple way is right to me. And I think it makes sense to Kevin. Mm -hmm. Sorry, freezing yeah. a little bit. I do think it's a, it's interesting to have a um, a figurehead for society who will take on the sins of man as as a story. It's quite genius. Um, sure, because typically, if someone kills and murders their own son, typically you wouldn't be applauded for that. But it's. I think it's because it resonates emotionally so strongly. Um, and it's almost so, it's so creative. It's so, in some ways, it's so inhumane that it, that it becomes a story that sticks. Um, and it, it right, to create a, the martyr. Yeah. Yeah, to create the martyr uh, philosophy is, is fascinating. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it has its, its place. Go, go ahead, Nadi. Yeah, so I spent a lot of, because, you know, I spent almost two or three years for sure. Let's say a couple, well, I grew up, you know, studying very deeply Catholicism and practicing and really understanding not just the philosophical, but the, the mysticism. Like, there's a lot of mystics in Catholicism, especially in Orthodoxy as well. So it's very interesting that the mystics really make the story of that crucifixion or whatever and resurrection transfiguration i'm putting it in the wrong order but um it becomes personal for them they're not really interested in converting other people to that and these dogmas that how you know that jesus is god and all of that, it, it took them like 400 years to get their story straight. You know, Christianity, Jesus, during the time of Jesus, and even during the time of his apostles, which was like 100 years following, right, or so, all that period is like, people believe whatever they want, whether they believe in reincarnation or not, nobody was deciding that. The only common factor was they were believing they didn't have to follow the laws that the Jews were saying they had to follow, you could have a personal relationship with God, you know. So, that, you know, the early phase of Christianity was really a message of liberation and freedom that you can, you don't have to feel crushed. So, you know, that story developed saying that you don't have to feel crushed for your existence. There's some hope at the end of the tunnel, right? But people were really believing and you can really, if you study the history of the church, you really see that how were they enforcing these beliefs? They were burning them, sending them to the salt mines if they preached another doctrine. How they enforced the current form of Christianity is would be unacceptable. And like, it's basically we're saying, if you don't believe what we believe, you are a lesser human being, pretty much. And that's become the mainstream. Now they don't have to because everybody believes it. And now we're the, if we were alive in those days, they would be doing that to us, literally, because they would be censoring anytime right. 
basically the censorship is what created current Christianity. But in its origin, Christianity was vast in its range of possible beliefs. Like, you know, so when I talk to some of my Christian family, I, I tell them, look, I'm not rejecting what you're saying in esoterically, but from a theological perspective, it's all a matter of opinion, what you're saying. I could, you know, esoterically, maybe I have the same concepts, but I interpret them very differently, you know? But then that's a yes. whole realm. If you, if you have that calling to go and reform a religion, I don't have that. So, <laughs> you know, that's a whole different <laughs> thing, you know? That's not my calling. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone um, or being a politician. Um, so um, let's... Uh, okay, yeah. Nandi, I'm interested. What made you decide to go to India? Oh, that was more of a personal trip. I just kind of went uh, due to some family connections I had there when I was uh, younger. And then when I finished high school, I kind of wanted to travel a bit. So I went to stay with some family friends in India. Um, yeah, and at that time, I actually didn't get into Hinduism. Very strange, very strangely enough. Um, I was Catholic still, not like super practicing, but my beliefs were definitely Catholic and I actually looked with very much of a scorn on everything that was Hindu when I was there. <laughs> very ironically enough, I looked at everything and through the lens of a Catholic, I saw them and I was like, what are these people doing? They don't know what they're <laughs> doing. They're putting stuff all over their faces <laughs> and they're, they're worshiping demons, you know? <laughs> yeah, literally that, that's what you grow up with and that's what you believe. Like, who is this God with an elephant head? You know, in Christianity, we would definitely call that something demonic. You know, God doesn't have an animal head. What are you talking about? God's a beautiful, wise-looking man in a flowing white dress. <laughs> it's all ethereal and glowing with light. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah. So um, how, that's how my did, journey. Sorry. Go ahead. How did, Nandi, how did it uh, change your world worldview after you... Uh, um, one of the things that I observed in, you know, in uh, when I was in India, is that there's this whole story about caste that Hinduism is caste system prejudice. And even when I called, I was in touch with one of my monk Catholic monks that I was aspiring to join actually when I was young, and I called him from India one, just give him an update wow. in India. Um, yeah, I have a long story. I'm just spilling out <laughs> blurps as we go along. But, um, and he said, oh, yeah, the caste problem is really big. And I, to be honest, I had not seen a single caste issue happening when I was there. There was no, people are not focused on that unless you go into like when they're arranging their marriage for their children, then it becomes an issue. Even then, not always. But in commonplace society, Hindus, at least in South India, I don't know about other places where I was in South India, most of them, if you talk to a caste, it's like, what's wrong with you? They'll talk to you like that. And the people who, I mean, caste has really become prejudice based on money and social status. That's the new caste, even in India, where people 
they don't like you because you're poorer than them, right? So that's that's not a religion problem. That's a social problem. So my, one social. of my worldviews is that a lot of the thinking we have about Indian culture and society is really stupid <laughs> and really uh, ignorant. So that the one thing I did take back, I did stay there for two years, is that never take anything a Western person says about India or the East as true. Throw it out the window. It's useless information. If you want to find out, do your own research. So maybe that opened up my mind because when I came back, I just came back, I made the call of my first job, and then uh, what did I do? So about a year in, so then my I got married as well. I met my wife from India, and um, then she went through an illness afterwards. About a year in, so that really like triggered a whole like kind of my questions that were below the surface really came out and started asking I really want to know what life is about now at this point you know and then I really started intense so in 2012 you know end of the Mayan calendar <laughs> so interesting timing but um, yeah so 2012 my journey really started First, I was very hesitant to leave Christianity. I was like, no, I'm going to stay within Christianity. I don't want to go to hell, you know. So I <laughs> uh, just decided to let go of, you know, the exclusivity of Catholicism. And But the more I looked within Christianity, it was more of the same. Like, there's groups that split off saying, oh, we want more, you know, we don't have the Pope's authority. And I thought, okay, maybe they have a little more freedom. But actually, it's just more of the same because they have the same beliefs. They've just tweaked it or took the Pope out of the picture, you know, that kind of thing. And then I studied Orthodoxy, uh, Eastern Orthodoxy a bit. A little more mystical, but still like very rigid and ossified. So then I decided, where did Jesus come from? Jesus came from Judaism. So then I studied, went to research the Kabbalah. And I was always into the mystical side of any religion. So even in Christianity, I was always interested, what do the mystics of your group have to say, you know? Um, so I studied more Kabbalah and like Ukrainian mystical traditions, the Hasidic tradition and all that, which is very interesting. They actually believe in reincarnation. Um, I almost thought about converting to Judaism for a while. That's how much I got into it. And, um, can I, let me, let me stop you right there. Nandi. Uh, I was just kind of looking at Judaism myself the other day and just trying to understand more about the, the Judeo Christian whole philosophy thing. Uh, so, so Judaism is considered to, to be, are there, are there, are Jews original Christians? No. Just say it like that. Well, okay, it's complex. Um, <laughs> Jews are definitely not Christians. <laughs> Jews are definitely not Christians. Um, um, Christians, the original Christians, most of them were Jews. So oh, okay. you know how Judaism, it's, um, it's all about the, the Messiah. But for Jews, the Messiah is not God incarnate. That's not the Jewish understanding of the Messiah. The, Mess the Messianic era for them is really like a new era of peace and prosperity. And the Jewish people are the kings. They're ruling over all the other nations of the earth. 
and that's what they're looking forward to and that's why they exist as a people they are supposed they believe that they are supposed to be the teachers of the new age and that the new age they will have a king like solomon or david or something and that's the messiah the messiah is the king of that new era who lead leads them and you know as a people so at a oh, so they're waiting for that yeah a hundred percent so how did jesus come into the picture well the apostles were all jews and they said jesus is the messiah you all been waiting for he's leading us to the new kingdom which is his father's kingdom coming down on earth oh. so you see how it ties into the christian story problem solved yeah until they start to kill the jews because they killed jesus but then that's the whole point of your story <laughs> <laughs> you know, but whatever, that's, things get complicated over 2,000 years, you know. Because at that point, Jews said, uh, some Jews said, wait, 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 I'm not sure that that's who we're talking about here. Oh, the mainstream, the Jewish authorities rejected it outright. They said no, because um, he has to be a descendant of David, he has to be from the royal blood. So that's why in the, if you read the New Testament, there's this whole they start off with listing well, how Jesus is descending from David or Solomon or whatever. They list out the genealogy because that's the proof that he is. All this doesn't make sense from a normal Western, but if you understand the Judaic dynamic, what was going on, the apostles, assuming they wrote it, I'm not going to get into that debate, but let's say it's legit. So if it's legit, the reason it's le they're saying all this stuff is because it's to prove that Jesus was the one. To the Jewish people. Oh, fascinating. Okay, okay, all right. Um, I love that. Okay, uh, keep going with your. What what else uh, in your story that you want to? Um... My journey. So yeah, from Judaism is how I made the jump to Hinduism. So since you know the Kabbalah tradition, the Orthodox mystical tradition, Judaism, they're talking about reincarnation they're talking about all this funny fun stuff um then one of the rabbis he said abraham came from india and he was a hindu because in the story about abraham you read about how he his father had all these idols and that abraham felt like all this is useless. They're not answering your prayers. You know, whatever happened. He had went through a midlife crisis and he started breaking all these statues. And he went out to the desert and then he heard the voice of God calling him out to form a new people for him. So who worships all these idols and all these gods? You know, the, the Hindus or the pagans, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they said that you know, Western people usually say, oh, Abraham was from Iran or someplace like that. But the Jews don't believe that. The Jews say, no, he was from way far out west. He was from somewhere in India. And he was a Hindu. So Jews ultimately wow. are related to Indians. Okay, in your vast um, theological expertise... Would you agree that Hinduism is, I guess you could, you could say, you, you know, you could agree with Gurudeva and say that, um, you know, it's the oldest religion, but is it one of the oldest and that there's a, there's a, a 
a mixture my, my of, opinion of, of is, Eastern thought. Yeah. Um, well, I always, like, I agree with it, but I have my own way of saying it, maybe, is that there is Sanatana Dharma, right? That's the word we, the technical original word for Hinduism means the truth that has always been in all places in all time. So whether you believe in it or not, it's true. And all religions throughout the world come have originated from some person or somebody who is trying to say the highest truth. And then it took whatever form based on the region, the culture, the language. So Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma is, in my opinion, you know, there's a lot of out of India theories, everything came from India. In my opinion, it doesn't have to be. Because Sanatana Dharma is what was in all places in all time. So it was just diluted and distorted through the politics and, you know, whatever happened over the last 2000 years. But before that, whatever was there, we would probably identify it as Hindu if we were able to see it, you know, like the Druids, had a very interesting system. They had all these fire rituals. They had the knowledge of plants and herbs and how to use them to invoke the gods. And they had a 12 year training period. And Celtic language is amazingly close to Sanskrit, like literally word for word sometimes if you actually do the linguistic study. Wow. Celtic, which is like the furthest north you can get, right? It's only surviving currently in Ireland for the most part. That's amazing. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, so all religions come from Sanatana Dharma, which was the most well-preserved in India, but it was really whatever was going on everywhere. It's not limited to India, and that's my opinion. So all religions have some essence of the truth. Wow, that's... But you have to really dig deep, and you have to be willing to get rid of the dogmas you have to be willing to get rid of the ossification but that's you know each one their own impossible it's hard possible yeah you're, you're going to basically basically you're going to end up dissolving that religious group and creating like some kind of yeah new agey thing which doesn't nothing against new age but it it's kind of lacking clarity in my opinion in this sense it there's a lot of overlap. So you have, let's say you have many goddesses. In reality, it's the same goddess in different forms and different cultures. So why do you have so many of them? You should really just have, pick one form. It's the same goddess. You know, like just an example that shows that there's a lack of understanding how everything is one, but doesn't have, mean you have to take everything and put it in the blender, you know?